Chapter Four of the Avalanche by Gertrude Horn Atherton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Chapter Four. Part One. Ryla had half promised to go to a dinner that night at the house of John Gwynne, whose wife would chaperone his wife afterward to the last of the assembly dances. Gwynne was his English friend who had abandoned the ancient title inherited untimely when he was making a reputation in the House of Commons and become an American citizen in California, where he had a large ranch originally the property of an American grandmother. His migration had been justified in his own eyes by his ready adaptation to the land of his choice and to the opportunities offered in the rebuilding of San Francisco after the earthquake and fire as well as in the renovation of its politics he had made his ranch profitable read law as a stepping-stone to the political career and had just been elected to congress ruyler was one of his few intimate friends and had promised to go to this farewell dinner if possible a place would be kept vacant for him until the last minute gwynne had married isabel otis a californian of distinguished beauty and abilities whose roots were deep in San Francisco, although she had run a ranch in Sonoma County. The Gwynnes and the Thorntons, until Ryler met Helene, had been the friends whose society he had sought most in his rare hours of leisure, and he had spent many summer weekends at their country homes. He had hoped that the intimacy would deepen after his marriage, but Helene during the past year had gone almost exclusively with the younger set, the dancing squad, natural enough considering her age but ruyler would have expected a girl of so much intelligence to say nothing of her severe education to have tired long since of that artificial wing of society devoted solely to froth and gravitated naturally toward the best the city afforded but she had appeared to like the older women better at first than later although she accepted their invitations to large dinners and dances Ryler made up his mind to attend this dinner at Gwynne's and telephoned his acceptance before he left Long's Business or no business he should be his wife's bodyguard hereafter There were blackmailers in society as out of it and it was possible that his ubiquity would frighten them off Whether to demand his wife's confidence or not he was undecided better let events determine part two when he arrived at home he went directly to Hélène's room but paused with his hand on the knob of the door he heard his mother-in-law's voice and she was the last person he wished to meet until he was in a position to tell her to leave the country he was turning away impatiently when madame delano lifted her hard incisive tones and you promise me she exclaimed passionately i trusted you i never believed price retreated hurriedly to his own room and it was not until he had taken a cold shower and was half dressed that he permitted himself to think that wretch had known then it was she who had been blackmailing her daughter and the poor child had been afraid to confide in him to ask for money no wonder her eyes had flashed at the prospect of a fortune of her own an even less welcome ray illuminated his mind at this point his wife was not unversed in the arts of dissimulation herself true she was french and took naturally to diplomatic wiles true also the instinct of self-preservation in even younger members of a sex that man in his centuries of power had made superficially the weaker was rarely inert 
what woman could wish her husband to know disgraceful ancestral secrets which were no fault of hers a much older woman would not be above entombing them if the fates were kind but it saddened him to think that his wife should be rushed to maturity along the devious way poor child he must win her confidence as quickly as his limping wits would permit and shift her burden to his own shoulders having learned through the medium of the house telephone that his mother-in-law had departed he knocked at his wife's door she opened it at once and there was no mark of agitation on her little oval face under its proudly carried crown of heavy braids she was looking very lovely in a severe black velvet gown whose texture and depth cunningly matched her eyes and threw into relief as artful the white purity of her skin and the delicate pink of lip and cheek she smiled at him brilliantly it can't be true that you are going with me i've reformed i shall go with you everywhere from this time forth but i thought i heard your mother's voice when i came in she often comes in about dressing time to see me in a new frock how heavenly that you will always go with me her voice shook a little and she leaned over to smooth a possible wrinkle in her girdle will you come down to the library we are rather early he went directly to the safe and took out the ruby and clasped the chain about her neck the chain was long and the great jewel took a deeper and more mysterious color from the somber background of her bodice Hélène gasped am i to wear it tonight that would be too wonderful this is the last great night in town why not i shall be there to mount guard you shall always wear it when i am able to go out with you she lifted her radiant face although it remained subtly immobile with a new and almost formal self-possession i am even more delighted than i was yesterday for at the fete there will be so much novelty to distract attention you always think of the nicest possible things when they were in the taxi he put his arm about her i wonder he began gropingly if you would mind not going out when i cannot go with you i'll go as often as i can manage there are reasons he felt her light body grow rigid reasons you told me only yesterday i know but i have been thinking it over that is rather a fast lot you run with i know of course they are ffc's and all the rest of it but if I ever drove up to the clubhouse in Burlingame in the morning and saw you sitting on the veranda smoking and drinking gin fizzes You never will I could not swallow a gin fizz or any nasty mixed drink And although I have had my cigarette after meals ever since I was 15. I never smoke in public I confess I cannot see you in the picture that rose for some perverse reason in my mind but well you really are too young to go about so much without your husband i'm always chaperoned to the large affairs mrs gwynne takes me to the fairmont tonight i know but scandal is bred in the marrow of san francisco its social history is founded upon it and it is almost a matter of principle to replace decaying props do you mind so much not going about unless i can be with you no of course not her voice was sweet and submissive but her body did not relax she added graciously after all there are so many luncheons and we often dance in the afternoon he had not thought of that what availed to guard her merely in the evening it was not her life that was in danger 
and he seemed as immeasurably far from obtaining her confidence as before he had always understood that the ways of matrimonial diplomacy were strewn with pitfalls and wished that someone had opened a school for married men before his time he made another clumsy attempt the cab was swift and had almost covered the long distance between western addition and russian hill other things have worried me you are so generous society here as elsewhere has its parasites its deadbeats trying to limp along by borrowing gambling amusing doing dirty work of various sorts it has worried me lest one or more of these creatures may have tried to impose on you with hard luck tales borrow she laughed hysterically price you are too funny i do lend occasionally to the girls when their allowance runs out before the first of the month but i don't know any deadbeats he plunged desperately your mother's voice sounded rather agitated for her of course i did not stop to listen but it occurred to me that she may have been gambling in stocks or have got into some bad land deal she is so confoundedly close-mouthed if she wants money send her to me Hélène sat very straight her little aquiline profile against the passing street lights was as aloof as imperial features on an ancient coin really price i don't think you can be as busy as you pretend if you have time to indulge in such flights of imagination maman has never tried to borrow a penny of me and she is the last person on earth to gamble in stocks or anything else or to buy land except on expert advice i think she has given up that idea anyhow she said this evening she thought it was time for her to visit our people in rouen oh she did Hélène, I must tell you frankly that I heard her reproach you for having broken a promise and she spoke with deep feeling It was possible that the Roman profile turned white, but in the dusk of the car he could not be sure His wife however merely shrugged her shoulders and replied calmly My dear price if that has worried you why didn't you say so at once? I am rather ashamed to tell you all the same Maman has been at me lately to persuade you to let her have the ruby for a week She is dreadfully superstitious poor maman and is convinced it will bring her some tremendous good fortune I have never met a woman who I could swear was free from superstition Price closed his lips angrily of what use to tax her feminine defenses further He had known her long enough to be sure she would rather tell the truth than lie it was evident that she had no intention of lowering her barriers and he must play the game from the other end get the proof he needed and engineer his mother-in-law out of the united states sometime however he would have it out with his wife being a businessman and always alert to outwit the other man he wanted neither intrigue nor mystery in his home but a serene happiness founded upon perfect confidence he found it impossible to remain appalled or angry at his wife's readiness of resource in guarding a family secret that must have shocked the youth in her almost out of existence he patted her hand and felt its chill within the glove it was like you never to have mentioned it he murmured for of course it is quite impossible that is what i told her decidedly tonight and i do not think she will ask again it hurts me to refuse dear maman anything her devotion to me has been wonderful but wonderful she added on a defiant note a mother's devotion particularly to a girl of your sort does not make any call upon my exclamation points but here we are 
the car rolled up the graded driveway gwynne had built for the old san francisco house that before his day had been approached by an almost perpendicular flight of wooden steps they were late and the company had assembled the thorntons chenahans and eight or ten young people all of whom would be chaperoned by the married women to the dance at the fairmont russian hill had escaped the fire but knob hill had been burnt down to its bones and the thorntons and trenahans had not rebuilt preferring like many others to live the year round in their country homes and use the hotels in winter the moment Hélène entered the drawing-room it was evident that the ruby was to make as great a sensation as the soul of woman could desire even the older people flocked about her and the girls were frank and shrill in their astonishment and rapture Hélène, darling the duckiest thing i never saw anything so perfectly dandy and wonderful i'd go simply mad do just let me touch it i could eat it mrs thornton who at any time scorned to conceal envy or pretend indifference looked at the great burning stone with a sigh and turned to her husband why didn't you manage to get it for me she demanded it would be far more suitable a magnificent stone like that on me than on that baby my darling murmured ford anxiously i never laid eyes on the thing before or one like it i'll find out where ruyler got it and try do you suppose i'd come out with a duplicate you should have thought of it years ago you always promised to take me to india it should be on you he gazed at her adoringly her hair was dressed in a high and stately fashion tonight she wore a gown of gold brocade and a necklace and little tiara of emeralds and diamonds she was looking very handsome and very regal thornton was a thin dark nervous wisp of a man who had borne his share of the burdens laid upon his city in the cataclysm of nineteen o six but if his wife had demanded an enormous historic ruby he would have done his best to gratify her but how the deuce could a man mrs gwynne was holding the stone in her hand and smiling into its flaming depths without envy she was one of those women of dazzling white skin black hair and blue eyes who when wise never wear any jewels but pearls she wore the gwynne pearls tonight and a shimmering white gown ruyler glanced round the fine old room with the warm feeling of satisfaction he always experienced at a san francisco function where the women were almost as invariably pretty as they were gay and friendly he did not like the younger men he met on these occasions as well as he did many of the older ones the serious ones would not waste their time on society and there were too many of the sort who were asked everywhere because they had made a cult of fashion whether they could afford it or not a few were the son of wealthy parents and were more dissipated than those obliged to hold down a job that provided them with money enough above their bare living expenses to make them useful and presentable ruyler looked upon both sorts as cumberers of the earth and only tolerated them in his house when his wife gave a party and dancing men must be had at any price there was one man here tonight for whom he had always held particular detestation his name was nicholas doremus he was a broker in a small way but ruyler guessed that he made the best part of his income at bridge possibly poker he lived with two other men in a handsome apartment in one of the new buildings that were changing the old skyline of san francisco 
his dancing teas and suppers were admirably appointed and the most exclusive people went to them ruyler knew his history in a general way his father had made a fortune in con virginia in the seventies and his mother for a few years had been the social equal of the women who now patronized her son but unfortunately the gambling microbe settled down in harry doremus's veins and shortly after his son was born he engaged his favorite room at the cliff house and blew out his brains his wife was left with a large house which as a last act of grace he had forborne to mortgage and made over to her by deed she immediately advertised for boarders and as her cooking was excellent and she had the wit to drop out of society and give her undivided attention to business she prospered exceedingly she concentrated her ambitions upon her only child sent him to a private school patronized by the sons of the wealthy and herself taught him every ingratiating social art she wanted him to go to college but by this time nick was nineteen and as highly developed a snob as her maternal heart had planned knowing that he must support himself eventually he was determined to begin his business career at once and believed with some truth that there was a prejudice in this broad field against college men he entered the brokerage firm of a bachelor who had occupied mrs doremus's best suite for fifteen years and made a satisfactory clerk the while he cultivated his mother's old friends when mrs doremus died he sold the house and goodwill for a considerable sum and combining it with her respectable savings formed a partnership with two other young fellows whose fathers were rich but old-fashioned enough to insist their sons should work nick did most of the work his partners during the rainy season sat with their feet on the radiator and read the popular magazines and in fine weather upheld the outdoor traditions of the state the firm had a slender patronage as ruyler happened to know but doremus was a member of the pacific union club and although he dined out every night he must have spent six or seven thousand a year it was amiably assumed that his social services he played and sang and often entertained exacting groups throughout an entire evening his fetching and carrying for one rich old lady accounted for his ability to keep out of debt and pay for his many extravagances but ruyler knew that he was principally esteemed at the small green table and he vaguely recalled as he looked over his head tonight that he had heard disconnected murmurs of less honorable sources of revenue as ruyler turned away with a frown he met gwynne's eyes traveling from the same direction i didn't ask him he said apologetically hate men too well dressed looks as if he posed for tailor's ads in the weeklies never could stand the social parasite anyhow but aileen lawton asked isabel to let her bring him as they are going to open the ball tonight with some new kind of turkey trot glad i'm off to washington california's the greatest place on earth in the dry season but i'd have passed few winters here if it hadn't been for the work we all have to do and even then it would have been heavy going without my wife's companionship ruyler sighed should he ever enjoy his wife's companionship and into what sort of woman would she develop if forced along crooked ways by ugly secrets blackmail perpetual lying and deceit he longed impatiently for the decisive interview with spaulding on the morrow then at least he could prepare for action and after all even of more importance now than winning his wife's confidence 
and saving her from mental anguish was the averting of a scandal that would echo across the continent straight into the ears of his half-reconciled father part four it was about halfway through dinner that the primitive man in him routed every variety of apprehension that had tormented him since two o'clock that afternoon trenahan another distinguished new yorker who had made his home in california for many years had taken in mrs gwynne and his spanish california wife sat at the foot of the table with the host ford had been given a lively girl aileen lawton to dissipate the financial anxieties of the day and to ruyler's satisfaction mrs thornton had fallen to his lot and he sat on the left of isabel in this little group at the head of the table his chosen intimates who were more interested in the affairs of the world than in consummate california ruyler had forgotten his wife for a time and had not noticed with whom she had gone in to dinner but during an interval when mrs thornton's attention had been captured by the man on her right and the others drawn into a discussion over the merits of the new mayor price became aware that doremus sat behind his wife halfway down the table on the opposite side and that they were talking if not arguing in a low tone oblivious for the moment of the company the deferential bend was absent from the neck of the adroit social explorer his head was alertly poised above the lovely young matron whose beauty wealth and foreign personality to say nothing of the importance of her husband gave her something of the standing of royalty in the aristocratic little republic of san francisco society there was a vague threat in that poise as if at any moment venom might dart down and strike that drooping head with its crown of blue-black braids suddenly hélène lifted her eyes full of appeal to the round pale blue orbs that at this moment openly expressed a cold and ruthless mind ruyler endeavoured to piece together those disconnected whispers letters discovered or stolen blackmail but such whispers were too often the whiffs from energetic but empty minds always floating about and never seeming to bring any culprit to book had this man got hold of his wife's secret but this merely sequacious thought was promptly routed the young man who was undeniably good-looking and was rumoured to possess a certain cold charm for women although to be sure the wary san francisco heiress had so far been impervious to it was now leaning over mrs price ruyler with a coaxing possessive air and the appeal left hélène's eyes as she smiled coquettishly and began to talk with her usual animation but still in a tone that was little more than a murmur she moved her shoulder close to the man she evidently was bent upon fascinating and her long eyelashes swept up and down while her black eyes flashed and her pink color deepened there was a faint amusement mixed with doremus's habitual air of amiable deference and somewhat more of assurance but he was as absorbed as hélène and had no eyes for janet maynard on his left whose fortune ran into millions for a moment ruyler who had kept his nerve through several years of racking strain which even an american is seldom called upon to survive wondered if he were losing his mind to business and all its fluctuations and even abnormalities he had been bred there was probably no condition possible in the world of finance and commerce which could shatter his self-possession cloud his mental processes but his personal life had been singularly free of storms even his emotional upheaval when he had fallen completely in love for the first time 
had lacked that torment of uncertainty which might have played a certain havoc for a time with those quick unalterable decisions of the business hour and even his engagement had only lasted a month it was true that during the past six months he had worried off and on about the shadow that had fallen upon his wife's spirits and affected his own but when he had time to think of it before yesterday morning he had assumed it was due to some phase of feminine psychology which he had never mastered that she could be interested in another man had never crossed his mind in spite of his passing flare of jealousy she was still passionately in love with him for all her vagaries or so he had thought ruyler was conscious of a riotous confusion of mind that really made him apprehensive had he witnessed that scene on the dummy this afternoon it seemed a long while ago had he heard those portentous words of his mother-in-law to his wife had they meant that she had warned her daughter against the bad blood in her veins extracted a promise broken to walk in the narrow way of a dutiful wife mercifully spared by a fortunate marriage the terrible temptations of the older woman's youth had Hélène confessed in desperate need of help advice doremus was just the bounder to compromise a woman and then blackmail her good god what was it for all his mental turmoil he realized that here alone was the only possible menace to his life's happiness his mother-in-law's past was a bitter pill for a proud man to swallow and there was even the possibility of his wife's illegitimacy but after all those were matters belonging to the past and the past quickly receded to limbo these days even an open scandal if someone of the offal sheets of san francisco got hold of the story and published it would be forgotten in time but this if his wife had fallen in love with another man and women had no discrimination where love was concerned if a decent chap got a lovely girl it was mainly by luck the rotters got just as good then indeed he was in the midst of disaster without end the present was chaos and the future a blank he'd enlist in the first war and get himself shot Hélène had a charming light coquetry wholly french and she exercised it indiscriminately much to the delight of the old beaux for she loved to please to be admired she had an innocent desire that all men should think her quite beautiful and irresistible even her husband had never seen her in an unbecoming déshabillé she coquetted with him shamelessly whenever she was not too gloriously serious and intent only upon making him happy until lately this was by no means her ordinary form he had come upon too many couples in remote corners of conservatories had been a not unaccomplished principle in his own day there was beyond question some deep understanding between her and this man suddenly ruyler's gaze burned through to his wife's consciousness she moved her eyes to his flushed to her hair then for a moment looked almost gray but she recovered herself immediately and further showed her remarkable powers of self-possession by turning back to her partner and talking to him with animation instead of plunging into conversation with the man on her right at the same moment ruyler became subtly aware that mrs thornton was looking at his wife and doremus and as his eyes focused he saw her long thin mobile mouth curl and her eyes fill with open disdain the mist in his brain fled as abruptly as an inland fog out in the bay 
before one of the sudden winds of the Pacific in any case his mind hardly could have remained in a state of confusion for long but that his young wife was being openly contemned by the cleverest as well as the most powerful woman in San Francisco was enough to restore his equilibrium in a flash whatever his wife's indiscretions it was his business to protect her until such time as he had proof of more than indiscretion and in this instance he should be his own detective he turned to mrs thornton going on to the fairmont he asked oh yes i have a new gown have you admired it arrived from paris last night and i am chaperoning two of these girls you are not of course i did intend to but it's no go still i may drop in late and take my wife home let me take her home was his imagination morbid or was there something both peremptory and eager in mrs thornton's tones i'm stopping at the fairmont of course but fordy and i often take a drive after a hot night and a heavy supper if you would take her home in case i miss it i must go to the office i'd like to that's settled this time her tones were warm and friendly ruyler knew that mrs thornton did not like his wife but her friendliness towards him since her return from europe three or four months ago had increased if anything his mind was now working with its accustomed keen clarity he recalled that there had been no surprise mixed with the contempt in her regard of his wife and doremus he also recalled that several times of late when he had met her at the fairmont where he often lunched with a group of men she had regarded him with a curious considering glance which he suddenly vocalized as how long this affair had been going on for some time then either it was a common talk or some circumstance had enlightened mrs thornton alone he glanced around the table no one appeared to be taking the slightest notice of one of many flirtations at least whatever his wife's infatuation he could avert gossip mrs thornton might be a tigress but she was not a cat when do you go down to burlingame she asked not for two or three weeks yet i don't fancy merely sleeping in the country but by that time things will ease up a bit and i can get down every day in time to have a game of golf before dinner shall mrs ruyler migrate with the rest hardly it will be dull for her in town no reflections on your charming society but of course she does not get much of it and she will miss her young friends after all she is a child and needs playmates ruyler darted at her a sharp look but she was smiling amiably doremus and the men he lived with in town had a bungalow at burlingame and they bought their commutation tickets at precisely the fashionable moment she will stay in town he said shortly she needs a rest and san francisco is the healthiest spot on earth but trying to the nerves when what we inaccurately call the trade winds begin why not let her stay with me of course she would be lonely in her own house and it is and is too young to stay there alone anyhow but i'd like to put her up and you certainly could run down weekends possibly oftener american men are always obsessed with the idea that they are twice as busy as they really are you are too good i'll put it to ellen of course it is for her to decide i'd like it mighty well but grateful as he was his uneasiness deepened at her evident desire to place her forces at his disposal End of chapter 4